There we go, that's better. All right, it's still loud. Um, are you sure you're touching it? Um, mate, uh, I'll just work from here. That's right. That's it. Old school Pentecostal style as opposed to up. Um, I, uh, I had this message and I was like, am I doing a sermon on exorcism this week? Um, the answer's no. Because um, uh, I, was, I was like fascinated that in Mark, his first public teaching involves two things, an explanation of scripture that's um, uh, extraordinary to all who are paying attention, and then this deliverance. And so they go hand in hand. Um, and I came to the conclusion that, that, that what seems to be happening here with Jesus is this, this cosmic authority that he's demonstrating. I, I, I am not just the, the Lord of the natural, but I am also the Lord of the supernatural. And without a shadow of a doubt, whatever state of captivity you find yourself in, Jesus is the great liberator of that. And so um, I feel like that there is a talk about exorcism and demonic forces and something like that, but I neither have the inclination or the authority or the expertise to give that message. So what I do feel passionate about is this idea that what we see here is Jesus demonstrating this incredible authority over scripture, over demons, over liberation. Um, and everyone who witnesses it is amazed. And that's kind of what I want to delve into. So Jesus at this point sets himself up in Capernaum. I think Capernaum is really fascinating. You guys, Melissa, Michael, did you get to go to the synagogue at Capernaum? Were you in that area? No? 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 Next time. Next time. Okay. So I find this really fun. You can go to the place and stand in the synagogue. The synagogue that is there is 300 years newer, but the foundation on which Jesus would preach this message, you can you can be a part. Hey, what, did you go to this? You, so you've been there. Yeah, you stood on this synagogue, right? Wow. I didn't preach. You didn't preach it? <laughs> stood there and I'm like, wow. Yeah. I, I think there's, a, there's an extraordinary nature to the being able to go and say, oh, okay, so he did it here. This is the spot. So, so we've got a historic context for this. And, and what we have is we have this time before uh, appointed, anointed rabbis where the scribes who are just, you know, scholars of the word, right? Like, so, so Anne is not the appointed pastor. She is one of the leaders of our church. She would be a scribe. She's someone who knows scripture, who could expound scripture. She'd come up and she'd speak. And, and what Jesus had the ability to do was he set himself up in Capernaum and he would go around to all these synagogues as a visiting scribe, lecturer, and they would say at the start of the meeting, welcome to, you know, like, Michael, it's great to have you here at our church. You want to come up and give us a message, right? It might be like, sure, come on up, give him a message. And, and so at this moment before rabbis could kind of become appointed and anointed in all these different synagogues, you have all these lay people coming up and giving messages from Scripture. And so Jesus leverages this and he says, yeah, I'm a visiting lecturer. Could I come and give you a teaching? And they were like, absolutely. And what they used to 
is they're used to a scribe getting up here and, and saying, like, now, as you know from Lamentations, uh, and they give it a little explanation of whatever's happening. Is it, now, Brother Hezekiah, who's a, who's a well-known rabbi, would say X, Y, Z. Same thing happens today, okay? Is, is that we would stand up here and we say, based on Mark 1, Tim Keller says this, Eugene Peterson says this, but if I go to Don Carson, I can find this, and, and uh, 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 Spurgeon also says this, and, but if, if we look at the narrative, I think I, I, I land in a place that's more in line with Moody, okay? And everyone would go, these are famous Christian names that I know, and I can kind of get my head around where they're going. And, and you know the flavour of what that might be. And, you know, I, I say, uh, uh, Bishop Joseph Prince says this, you go, oh, okay, it's a little bit more charismatic here. You know, a little bit more edgy. The, the idea, though, is that Jesus stands up. He doesn't quote anyone. So, so they're all like, whoa. This man starts to teach, and he teaches. He's weaving through the narrative of the Old Testament. He's, bang, this verse connects to this verse, and this verse connects to this verse. And there is an authority and a power at which he communicates that they have never seen. They're not used to this. When are we going to get Rabbi XYZ? I'm just going to go back to the book, and this is what it says. And they are all amazed with the authority at which he teaches, because he is not quoting anyone except his Father in heaven. And so they are amazed. The other, narrative, uh, the other narrative that we see through this book is this, um, I forget, I think it's Ben Witherington, the third, not to quote the second or the fourth, but the third. He's, he talks about this idea of a secrecy motif, is that, is that what we see within the book of Mark is that Jesus silences people who are possessed by demonic spirits because they know who he is. He's the Holy One of God. We get that in this passage, right? Who, what are you doing here, Holy One of God? Have you, you know, have you come to kill us? Um, the demonic uh, person is agitated by the presence of God and um, Jesus says silence. In, in fact, in the very next passage, he does this again. Every time a, a, a demonic spirit arcs up, he says silence because there seems to be an unfolding revelation of the authority of Jesus and if it moves too quickly it limits his ability to be able to do certain things so we, we see this in other books is that uh, a person is radically healed he says don't tell anyone just go straight to people who are in authority and communicate to them and he goes and blabs it to everyone can't preach in that town anymore and so there's this suggestion that there's kind of a, a slowly unfolding revelation of the power of Jesus and that's what this touches because because what the the demon is the smartest person in the room apart from Jesus 
isn't he? No one knows who he is apart from the fact that he teaches with authority and then um, and then the evil spirit comes in and says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know that you are the Holy One of God. No one else in that synagogue is at that point yet. They're just like, wow, man, this guy's we're getting him back up next Sunday if he's teaching like this. How do we keep him in town? Maybe we'll put him on a little local circuit and we could be the hottest synagogue in town. The demon-possessed person is like, I know who you are. And, and so we've been talking about this idea for the last few weeks about kind of the liminality, right? The, the, the transition of seasons that we see throughout Mark 1. Okay, and uh, just to recap, you walk under the limit when you go through a doorway into a new room. So there's, you just, I've seen the scowl on your face, so let me unpack the liminality. No, it's good, it's a great idea. So, so, so there's a point when you move between two rooms where you're not in either of the rooms. You're between spaces. So as you leave this room and go out there for a coffee, at some point you transition from this room to that room. And it's the same thing with seasons. So, so culturally, socially, um, life phases, we see this. Um, I'm, I'm 40, and I cannot do the things that I wish I could do when I was 20 anymore. And, and some of you are slightly older than 40, and you can't do the things that you wish you could have done when you were 20. And, and what that means is there's, there's, a, there's an upheaval within your life where you have to strain against who you were and start to push in into who you are becoming, and that's challenging. Can I get an amen? amen. Who I I dwell on the past. So I often wish that I had a DeLorean with a proper flux capacitor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I, but I, not that I could take this body back in time, but I could just take my brain and put it in 19-year-old time, right? And I just go, you, you stupid, big boy. But 43-year-old Duncan's wiser, yeah? And I'm just, I put you in the DeLorean, I'm going to sink back in time, and just make a few quick adjustments, right? Don't break up with Carly just before you go off to the USA. Pointless trip. Stay with that girl. She's good. Right? Some, some wise statements to make to Duncan. Because I dwell on the past. Okay? Mistakes that were made. I don't know about you. I, I have a big part of my brain dedicated to historic, awkward moments. Right? Uh, went for a bushwalk. The other day, came up, saw a friend, was convinced it was Kath, said, Kath, how are you doing? Good to see you. She's like, my name's Belinda. I'm like, good. Another <laughs> <laughs> deposit in the brain bank for awkwardness. Bless you, Belinda. We do not know one another. Uh, so, yeah, I'm still reliving that. That's recent memories. Stop it, you know, like, so I'm too nice. Um, uh, so... So what we have here, I don't, I don't even know where I was going with that story. Um, <laughs> oh, what's that? Liminal. Liminal. Yeah, so, so we've got this season of liminality 
and, and we all struggle with it, but what Jesus is doing here is he's creating this new culture, right? This new movement, this new kingdom, this new power, this new authority, and there's upheaval. And, and there's two levels that he's playing on. So, so we have these people who are just culturally attuned to how church should function. And Jesus stands up and liberates them from the captivity of their minds. Head knowledge. And he teaches them with an authority that they have not seen. And now they're wrestling with it. Okay? And as that upheaval and transition happens, a demon-possessed person fires up. And then he commands the supernatural. That's, I'm not pointing at you. <laughs> Be my demon possessed. No, don't. Um, he, he, he acknowledges the silence. Come out of him. And they're like, whoa! There's no Holy Spirit downlights going on in this building. And he is moving in both, both worlds. The natural and the supernatural, and Jesus teaches with this cosmic authority, and they are awestruck by him. Yet, it's one of those um, moments that we we want to, um, we all want to be a part of, is those lightning in a bottle Sunday services where you walk out and you go, man, I was at this thing on a Sunday and it was, (coughs) we had a visiting pastor, his name was Jesus of Nazareth and you got to come along. He's back next Sunday. Word in town is he stayed in Capernaum for a while. He's going to do some ministry. And then this guy, you know Crazy Jake? Yeah, we know Crazy Jake. Yeah. They delivered him. And he's like normal Jake now. You met him? Yeah, he was at the farmer's market. Yeah, that's that's Crazy Jake. He's no longer crazy. Wow. Turns out he had a demon in him. Demon what? Yeah, it's not there anymore. That was Jesus. This is what's happening. We get this extraordinary moment as it unfolds and we go, let's have a conversation about demons. But I go, let's have a conversation about setting the captives free. Because that's the great liberation that's unfolding here. Is that the people were amazed and they asked each other, who is this new teaching? New authority, and he even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. The news spread quickly over the entire region. It's the power of redemption that comes from Jesus. There's no, there's no grandeur as to what he is doing, but a revelation of the supernatural power of Jesus. And I, I think you know we, we have we have these 
arguments back and forward about um, cessationalism. Cessationalism is a big word about whether or not the miraculous gifts of, of the early church is still in play. And, um, you know, we go, well, we haven't, you know, we haven't seen a radical healing in our midst, and so therefore it doesn't exist. But the purposes of what Jesus is doing here is liberating captives. It's not a theological discourse on the power on which miraculous gift is better than another one. We can go to Paul, by the way, for that one if we want an explanation of which one's most valuable. But um, I kept on coming back to this idea like, why, why do we need crazy Jake in our room? Like, like why would we need a demon-possessed person in our midst distracting us from Jesus when we're already so distracted? You know, it's like, like we can stare at computer screens all day long if we we can watch TV to our heart's content. There, there are so many other distractions. We don't need a demon-possessed God. Because the purpose of this message is liberation that found, finds itself with Jesus at the epicenter. You know, like number four on the wall, make following Jesus the center of what we do. And um, I was talking with Helen this morning. You know, great question, small talk question. Did you have a good week? My truthful answer was it was okay. It wasn't particularly productive. It was a people person week. But my great lament from the week is that I wasn't a, it wasn't the person week. Do you know? It, it is that I, I find my greatest challenge is being able to just sit and stare at Jesus. Like I, I long to be in a synagogue in Capernaum at the right time when Jesus of Nazareth gets up and expands the scripture. I long to sit in the presence of that power and authority and I just get distracted by other stuff. And so I find myself going, I just want to figure out how we can carve out more of Jesus' time. And you know, like, you've seen it in the sermon already, but I got a little ADHD going on, and I run down a rabbit hole and then forget where I am, and then I'm like, jump onto the next thing, right? Is that I feel like being able to get that structure in my life where I can go, there's that regular rhythm of Jesus that allows him to remain 
as the central authority, whether this realm or the supernatural realm, that Jesus is the center of everything that I do every day. And I just didn't have that experience this week. And I think that's my great lament, is because we're so distracted, we miss the most important person in the room. And so, it's not a conversation about exorcism. It's not a sermon technique. Do you know, we're not talking about inductive or non-inductive sermon preparations, whether or not we've included homiletical loops, the Zach Eswine aha moment of a sermon, and how we can leverage that based on Jesus' teaching, and neither of those sit at the centre of the point. The centre of the point is the authoritative nature of Jesus and how he should be the centre of everything. And so that orbit for us, how do we pull that closer? We're, um, I got a son who just random questions nonstop, doesn't he, babe? What do you, what do you think the average speed of a pigeon is, Dad? <laughs> Don't know, son. Really like to know how fast a pigeon would go. Do you think Godzilla would win in a battle with um, King Kong for real? Like, that's the next question, right? Like, this is just no, there's no path between the islands. They're just islands in a galaxy. That we... What do you think the most dangerous ant bike in the world is? Next question. Right? There's... And I think that's what we end up on this rabbit trail of questions about questions about questions about questions. And one of those questions he goes is, um, you think that's a star or a satellite? And I was like, teaching moment now, Pastor Duncan. See how it's flickering? It's a satellite. I said, but. What I love about satellites is they're different orbits of satellites. And that's that's a low orbit, synchronous satellite. And he's like, low, he loves big words. Low orbit, synchronous satellite. He's like, what's the low orbit, synchronous satellite means? I said, what it does is it's stuck to the Earth's rotation. So it's far enough out that it can bounce signals to other satellites that sit in low orbit synchronous. And I said, but it's close enough, it leverages the force of the Earth to help maintain an orbit. So it never goes too far away, it never comes too close, it sits in a synchronous orbit with the world. And I said, this is a Jesus moment, eh? I said, that's what I want us to do with Jesus is how do we sit in low-orbit, synchronous relationship with Jesus? 
we, we want to always move with that gravitational pull of Jesus. Not so it gets, we get ever increasingly further away. And also not that we crack into a smoldering wreck and forget the purpose of what we're trying to do, which is share Jesus with the world, right? Like, so, so I think sometimes you, you can get like monastic. I'm just going to seal myself off from the, from the world and just become a monk in a cave. Okay, I think you just got a little too close to Jesus. <laughs> I need you to back up because there's two commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Our love your neighbor as yourself. Is that that second command sits together with the first one, right? The first one's paramount. Good relationship with God. But the expression of that good relationship with God comes out in community. And so that's where that synchronous orbit, I think, is where we need to sit. And so this is an absolute scatterbrain message. I'm sorry, first time. Great to have you here. Um, welcome to the mind dump of me. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, we, we need to wrestle that out together. It is how do we make following Jesus the center of what we do? Because I think that's what we see here in this passage. He's the central authority of Scripture, and he's the central authority of the supernatural, which means we don't have arguments about both. We acknowledge the power of Christ and that we sit in a synchronous orbit with Jesus at the center. And that's where it comes back to. And so I think that's my encouragement for the week and my great lament for myself for this week was I just was... I was blasting away to the moon and I lost my, my all. It was great hanging out with people. But I really wanted that tether to Christ to be strong. Let's pray. Lord, the great liberator, coming to set the captives free. Lord, you minister to the broken things in our lives and make them whole. Lord, you take our weakness, our clay pots, and you use them in extraordinary ways. Lord, that we might find ways and means to sit in that close orbit with you, Lord, where we can hear you and listen to you, acknowledge you, love you more.